Welcome to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Picked off by the Colts. Kenny Moore, 30, 20, down the near sideline. They hand off to Taylor, right up the gut, and he's in there. Touchdown! We're talking Colts and recapping the action. He's got it! Here's the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Colts Roundtable Live tonight, presented by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. I'm Matt Taylor with you until 7 o'clock tonight talking Colts football. Sam Ellinger played well in his first career NFL start. The Colts defense was good for most of the game. But it wasn't enough as the Colts fell to the Commanders on Sunday, 17-16. The Colts have now lost back-to-back games, and they dropped a 3-4-1 and on the season with the loss. The Colts trailed at halftime 7-3, but took a 16-7 lead on a Naeem Hines touchdown with just over 11 minutes to play in the game. The Colts were in the driver's seat, but they couldn't hang on for the win. Credit the Commanders. They made plays in the fourth quarter on Sunday as that game proved to truly be a game of inches. Washington scored 10 points on their final two drives of the game. In fact, the Colts' defense gave up 171 yards in the fourth quarter after holding the Commanders to just 191 through the first three. They also had 10 first downs in the first three quarters and 10 more in the fourth. Taylor Heineke drove Washington down the field for a field goal with under five minutes to play. On the ensuing possession for the Colts, they went three and out and came up inches away from a conversion on a quarterback scramble by Sam Ellinger. The Colts would decide to punt it back to the Commanders, who took over with just two minutes to play. And then Washington went nine plays, 89 yards, and the drive was highlighted by a 33-yard pass from Heineke to Indianapolis native Terry McLaurin down to the one-yard line. The Colts' offense under Ellinger moved the ball, but they couldn't finish. That was the story of the game. The Colts went just one for three in the red zone, and they had six drives reach at least the Washington 28-yard line. The Colts settled for three field goals, turned it over twice on fumbles, and scored one touchdown. Sunday marked the fifth time this season the Colts have been held under 20 points in a game, and it was the team's fourth game with one touchdown or less this season. Turnovers were a killer, as I said. They have been all season. The Colts suffered two lost fumbles in the red zone. That played a huge role in the Colts coming up short in a game where they lose by one. Sam Ellinger lost a fumble on a strip sack, and then Jonathan Taylor suffered a fumble in the second half with the Colts driving just inside the 20-yard line. So Sunday's improbable comeback win by Washington was just the second time since 2000. The Commanders won a game when trailing by multiple scores in the final five minutes of a game. The Colts still sit in second place in the AFC South, but the Titans won again their fifth straight game on Sunday over the Texans. They now sit at 5-2, and two, and they also hold the tiebreaker on the Colts as well. Coming up tonight, we'll talk about the game and where the Colts go from here. We'll do that with Rick Venturi and J.J. Stangovitz. They'll join me on the show tonight. Joe Wright's normally with us. He can't be with us tonight. He'll return to the show next week. Rick and JJ join me on the next segment. We're also taking your questions later on in the show, as always. If you have a question or comment on the Colts, tweet it in tonight using hashtag Colts Roundtable. Again, that's hashtag Colts Roundtable on Twitter. And we'll also take a few of those questions with head coach Frank Reich, who joins us, as he always does here on the first segment tonight, brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Coach, difficult game on Sunday to uh, come to terms with. What did the game boil down to after watching the film again today and digesting it for the second time? Obviously, the turnovers 
play a big factor. Um, you know, we're 3-0 and when we win the turnover battle, 0-4-1 when we don't. And then the other big factor is, you know, there were really good flashes in all three phases. I mean, really good. Um, we just need a little bit more consistency. So as coaches and players, you know, we have to find that way to show more consistency um, on in all three phases. Another storyline of the game, Sam Ellinger making his first career start. Stat line of 17 for 23, 201, passer rating right at 100. Um, what did you make of his performance first time out? I thought he played well, uh, just as importantly. I thought he looked poised in the pocket. And I, he never felt like he was rattled. Um, I thought he saw the field very well. Mm-hmm. You know, made all kinds of throws, made the deep throws, made the short throws, scrambled at the right times. I thought he, I thought he did well. How did you see him grow even during the game as he kind of settled in and, and got more comfortable? Yeah, just um, you know, made a couple plays out of the pocket, and you know, was and and obviously the deep ball, you know, to Alec was was really nice. Um, and you could just feel like he was in command as the game went on. Yeah, you got some big plays on offense. In fact, four plays over 25 yards, some misdirections, some jet sweeps, some screens. You had the big shot to Alec Pierce. How did uh, Sam's skill set open up the playbook for you, if you will, is, if, if that's the right way to put it? Well, there's no doubt. When, you're, when you have a run threat at quarterback, you know, it puts pressure on the defense, especially, you know, on defensive ends and second-level linebackers. You yeah. know, they can't just crash down so hard on JT. So um, you got to use that to your advantage. And so, when you know, with Sam being our quarterback, he, provide, he provides that to the offense. And uh, where you really see the benefit, Matt, is over time, you know, is it's the – cumulative effect of that you know and all of a sudden JT gets going a little bit more and more mm-hmm. and then every now and then Sam just pulls one yeah. and hopefully the cumulative effect is very positive all right last one for me I know at the end of the day it's about scoring points scoring more points and, and winning football games you know the defense was great for three and a half quarters but the last two drives successful obviously for Washington scoring 10 points on their final two possessions how did you come away feeling about the defensive uh, performance on Sunday well I mean like you said it's hard to it's hard to want to say anything negative about the defense with the way we've been playing all year and the way we played through three and a half quarters. But, you know, as a defense, we have to come up and make a play in those. You got two series, mm-hmm. you know, to make a play and to, and to keep points off the board. We weren't able to do that, you know, which was unfortunate because we've ended so many games on defense. You know, part of the reason why to punt it there at the end and having confidence and make them go the whole field. But, um, you know, we'll learn from that. We'll learn from that and move on. Frank Reich's in studio with us tonight on Colts Roundtable Live. Let's go to the fan questions. As always, you can tweet in your thoughts and questions on the Colts using hashtag Colts Roundtable. We got a bevy ready here. Ben is asking, was there any thought of going for two when you went up 15-7 to in the fourth quarter, or was the idea there just to ensure you took a two-score lead at that point? Yeah, there was a quick discussion, but it was more about getting a, a, a two-score lead. Make it a two-possession game, and you know all the analytics were strong in that way. Yeah, I think you just talked about this as well, but Nicholas is asking, what went into your decision to punt from the 34-yard line, your own 34-yard line, with just over two minutes left, uh, giving them the ball back down by only six? Well, yeah. As everyone knows, I'm typically pretty aggressive in those situations. Right. But I think part of it is you got to adapt and, and understand where your team is at, and you know. So our defense has been playing well. The charts were pretty fit. It was pretty much of a fifty-fifty. The win percentage on both of them was virtually equal. So, mm-hmm. um, given the scenario, given where we were at in the game, I uh, just thought 
the call was to you know put it in the defense's hands and um, you know and trust them to get a stop. All right, Ken is up next. Uh, how much did Sam Ellinger help the offensive line? It seems like the pressures appear to be down in this game. The offensive line uh, protected well. You know, we had two sacks. The one sack really wasn't a sack. We had a miscommunication on a shotgun snap, and the ball right. came back early. So it was really only one sack, and I thought the protection most of the day was good. And, um, you know, Sam did a nice job of getting the ball out quick when he could and then, you know, escaped a couple times. So uh, I thought the offensive line played pretty well. All right. Unfortunately, you've got some um, news regarding injuries. Miles is asking, uh, how is Taekwon Lewis feeling today? You know, again, I know you've got some news regarding where he's at in the remainder of his season. Yeah, I mean, you know, hurt his uh, you know, patella tendon. It was the same injury he had last year with season-ending injury uh, requiring that surgery. So it's really very unfortunate for a true pro and a great human being yeah. and a great player. You know, and then the fact that it's the same injury he had last year on the other knee. But Taekwon's a stud, man. He's He, he will – he will get back after it. He'll get that thing rehabbed and come back strong as ever. I mean, I've never even heard of a player injuring, having the same injury on, on two different knees. I know. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's insane. And he's going to draw strength from it. Yeah. Uh, you know, anybody who knows him knows yeah. he, that he will do that. Okay, a couple more. Don is asking, uh, how much of the deep shots to Pearson Campbell were part of the game plan in order to establish the threat of stretching the field with Sam Ellinger at quarterback? I mean, there's no doubt Alec Pierce has shown all year that mm-hmm. he that he can do that. Um, so, you know, we look for those opportunities. Paris, you know, obviously we know with his speed. And, and we feel the same thing with Pittman. You know, I mean, a lot of times we're throwing at the pit over the middle because he's so tough. And um, But, yeah, we want to continue to stretch the field and take our shots down, down there. All right. Uh, final one from Chris. Uh, he's asking, at this point, what are Sam Ellinger's limitations and how does that change your play calling? I mean – he can do everything in our offense we want him to do. And then, you know, he's, he adds the additional threat of running. You know, you don't want to call too many design quarterback runs because he's our quarterback. You don't want to get him hit yeah. too many times. But um, really his big deal is, you know, you can scramble, you can extend plays. Um, so really excited about how well he looked in his first game and looking forward to con- uh, continued growth. All right, last one. Patriots up next. They're 4-4. Four and four. They've won three of their last four. They started 1-3. and three. Uh, they beat the Jets on Sunday, 22-17. to Bill Belichick, as you know, uh, with the win yesterday, moved into second place all-time in NFL history in terms of wins as a head coach. You played them last year. What are your early impressions of the Patriots here on a Monday night? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, hats off to Coach Belichick and, and, and you know, get notching that win for – I mean, that's incredible to think about. Yeah. Um, so we, we know this is a well-coached team. To, to, that's the, stating the obvious. You know, last year we had a, we had a decent day against them, but uh, it was a battle. You know, it was a battle, and then kind of broke loose a little bit late. So, you know, going to Foxborough, you know, you know, going up there to play them on the road, that, that's always a tough challenge. But looking forward to it. All right, coach. Any time to uh, trick or treat with the grandkids tonight? Uh, no, unfortunately <laughs> not. Um, but you know, we're, it's all all eyes on the Patriots. I get it. I get it. Well, I appreciate the time on a Monday night. Uh, have a great week, and we'll talk to you on Friday. Thank you. That's our weekly talk with Frank Reich, brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Saving home on monthly bills when you can serve water and energy for money-saving tips. Always visit citizensenergygroup.com. When we come back, we'll welcome in Rick Venturi and J.J. Stangovitz in for Joe Wrights tonight. We'll get their tales of the tape after the Colts set back to the Commanders. We're coming back with that in just a moment. Stay with us. You're listening to the Colts and Colts Roundtable Live here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
We now return to Colts Roundtable Live. Once again, here's Matt Taylor. Welcome back again to Colts Roundtable Live here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It's always presented by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. Tonight's show also brought to you by Caesars and Pick 6. It's free to play all season long. Answer six predictive questions about the game every week for a chance to win great Colts prizes. Must be 21 or older to play. Thanks again to Frank Reich, who joined us on segment one. It's time now to welcome in Rick Venturi and J.J. Stangovitz to the show tonight. J.J.'s here for Joe Wrights. Joe will uh, join us again next week. J.J., out of the bullpen, man. How does it feel here in the World Series? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm not coming out of the bullpen like I'm uh, David Robertson. Oh, you're bringing heat. I'm, you're well, bringing I'm heat trying now. to think of relievers on the Phillies and Astros, and I got like one. Uh, <laughs> rain, no, uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez, there's another one. a boy. Well, you're going you're gonna to be the specialist tonight. Again, Joe Wrights will join us again next Monday. Uh, as the Colts came up short uh, on Sunday, 17-16, despite that nine-point lead with just over 11 minutes to go, couldn't close it out. So we always begin with our tale of the tapes, the big reactions from watching the game film again today. So since you're uh, new to the show, give you the floor first. Your big takeaways, top takeaways from that loss against the Commanders. Yeah, I mean, Matt, I think the, the biggest one is that the Colts just they struggled to execute in critical situations when they got inside the Washington 30. So from the end of the first quarter through early in the fourth quarter, the Colts, the Colts had eight drives. Seven of them were real drives. They had one kneel down. Yeah. On those seven drives, the Colts ran 44 plays and gained 290 yards. So they averaged 6.6 yards per play. They were, for a long stretch of this game, as efficient as the Buffalo Bills offense has been this year. Buffalo leads the NFL, averaging 6.6 yards per play. But then you get down inside the 30, and on those on six drives that got inside the commander's 30-yard line, one ends in a touchdown, three ends in field goals, including a 20-yarder, and then two end in lost fumbles. That's how you score 16 points when you average, you know, when, you, when you're basically running your offense like you're the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, for, when you're over six yards per play. Yeah, for yeah. two and a half quarters in right. this game, almost three quarters. So that... That is where, you know, talking to players after the game, you feel it from them, the frustration, you Mm -hmm. know, that Naheem Hines and Ryan Kelly expressed about. You know, Naheem said, said, you know, we're walking the ball up and down the field, and you see that on the film. You see the execution and the explosive plays to Alec Pierce and Paris Campbell, but then you get down into the the low red area or even just inside the 30, and you get negative plays. You get Deion Jackson losing four yards. You get Jonathan Taylor getting stuffed on the goal line. You get Sam Ellinger losing a fumble. You get Jonathan Taylor losing a fumble. And that's how you wind up with 16 points, which is what your season averages this year, third lowest in the NFL. Right. Yeah, right on right on par. Unfortunately, as you said, 16 points and uh, fifth time this season, the Colts held under 20 points and fourth time this year where the Colts score uh, one touchdown or fewer in a game. So that's J.J.'s tale of the tape. Rick, uh, what were your top takeaways after watching the tape again this morning against the Commanders? Yeah, after watching the tape, I, I think a couple things. One thing that was very apparent to me, really, when we talked about it in summation at the end yesterday, was only you know only substantiated by watching the tape. Very much along the lines of what JJ had to say, uh, I used the term yesterday. Uh, I think my my take of the actual game and the failure in the game was our inability to finish. It was the offense's inability to finish in what I refer to as the orange-slash-red zone. That's 30-yard line in. 
you know, J.J. mentioned it in a way. I mean, we had five opportunities uh, in the red zone that went, aw- that went awry. I mean, uh, yeah. we, we had uh, three field goals and uh, two turnovers. Uh, and so, in a sense, we left, however you want to cut it, we left 20 or 26 points you know, on the field when, when all we really needed was two. All we needed was a field goal Man. to win the game. But yeah. five opportunities, you know, the, the, the big loss, uh, you know, was a total implosion, was our own issue, was a, a snap miscue um, that prior and everybody wasn't on the same page, you know, and we get up against it. Uh, you know, we, we, get, we get thrown for a loss on a ridiculous third and one. Uh, you know, we just it just was one thing after another, and then the two turnovers, the two fumbles, which you know have plagued us all year long. Again, we just couldn't finish enough drives. I mean, we should have really had thirty. We could have had thirty-six or forty-two points easily. I mean, easily, not 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 really even stretching it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, when you're stuck at sixteen, that's the difference. And then in the end, the other thing that we couldn't finish is we couldn't finish the game on defense. And, you know, you you get paid on defense. I know people say, well, you held them to, you know, 17, you're going to win. Well, your job as a defensive unit right. is to hold them to one less point than they get. Okay, that's what it really comes down to. It doesn't come down to anything else on that given day. And essentially with 11 minutes to go and a nine-point lead, they have to go two 90-yard drives effectively. It's you know if you if you averaged them out, they're almost two 90-yard drives to go down and score 10 points and come from behind and win it, including you know the last one with 22 seconds. And so at the end of the day, we couldn't finish it. We couldn't get any pressure. We let him out of the pocket. We let him out all day. I thought we had a lousy rush plan against him. And then in the end, in the end of the day, their quarterback and their two top receivers actually outplayed us. When it really came down to it, you know, Samuel was able to make plays. They even got plays uh, to Sims and to Rodgers. Um, obviously, the check down game was there all day. And then the, the big play was, uh, was McLaren. So I think in the end of the day, it was not able to finish on offense you know, specifically on the field yeah. in the in the orange red zone, and then our defense's inability to finish the game and get out of there. Now, I will say this though: after watching the tape, I actually come out of there a lot more optimistic than when I left yesterday. The shock of the loss was hard to live with, but you know, when I look at that tape, I really like Ellinger. I really like Pierce. Campbell is showing the explosiveness that we hope for. That's the first time, I think, yesterday that we saw why Campbell was drafted so high with that kind of speed and then the use of Hines. So there's a lot of things we can talk about later as we go that really lead me into uh, actually a lot more optimism than when I left that stadium yesterday. All right, good to hear. Good to hear, no doubt about that. The Colts still have nine games left, and they're going to have to lean on that optimism. That's uh, Rick Venturi and J.J. Stankovitz with their tales of the tape. J.J.'s filling in for Joe Wrights tonight. And the Colts had a takeaway on Sunday. That was a pick from Shaq Leonard. 
That means Colts fans can score a free appetizer tonight. B-dubs on a Halloween Monday night through this Wednesday at participating Indianapolis locations. See Colts.com slash BWW for more details. All right, that's the tale of the tape again here on Colts Roundtable Live. When we come back, we're going to take a deeper dive into the major issues that are plaguing this Colts team through eight games. The key word right there, plague. We'll hit on that when we come back and discuss those in order when we come back on Colts Roundtable Live. Stay with us. This is 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. For more Colts breakdown, here's Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. Hey, we're back on Colts Roundtable Live. It's always brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. The show tonight is also brought to you by Meyer. They're the official super center of the Colts and proud sponsor of hundreds of local sports teams across the Midwest. J.J. Stankovitz is here filling in for Joe Wrights. He's back on the show next Monday. Rick Venturi, the staple, he's uh, here as well. I'm Matt Taylor. This is not a <laughs> this is not a religious show, uh, but I was thinking about how to frame up the conversation tonight and just doing, you know, reading on the game and thinking about how that game uh, played out and how the first eight games of the season have played out. Uh, JJ and Rick, the, the first thing that came to my mind was plague. The Colts have just been plagued by so many things. And in the Old Testament, you had plagues, right? You had, you know, a, a plague of frogs and gnats and boils and, and a plague of darkness in the Old Testament. Let's talk about what's plaguing the Colts so far this season. So the first plague, you've got just turnovers. You know, two more fumbles on Sunday. Sam Ellinger lost one. Jonathan Taylor lost one, both inside the red zone, I mean, J.J., if the Colts just get field goals there, uh, they win this game. You know, the Colts have fumbled 21 times on the season and kind of doing the splits and three wins this season. The Colts have three turnovers, J.J., and five non-wins, we'll call it, right, losses or ties. The Colts have 13 turnovers in those games. So how big, how big of a plague have their turnovers been this season for the Colts, J.J., and can they ever shake free of that? It's kind of the story of the season um, right now. When you, you talk about 21 fumbles, okay, so you, you lose a certain number of those. But even when you don't lose a fumble, that's a negative yeah, play. Drive killer. Right. You know, you, you think about the, this offense struggling to move the ball at times and getting behind the chains because of a fumble. That ha- Those have been drive killers for this team. How it's fixed, uh, I would be curious to know how uh, Rick, you know, if your team – had these issues like what do you do like how, how are you supposed to talk to a player and just be like hey man hold on to the ball more like it, it this seems like such a a difficult thing yeah. to fix because it's almost so random yeah this is and fifth it, grade football this right. is 101 right but but it's like it, it almost just feels random in how this keeps happening and it's just like you know maybe the fumble god said hey you know shack out all those punch outs last year let's just you know let's even it out uh, on the offensive side, like, I, I don't even know what to do about this. Rick, when, when you're coaching a team, what do you do about this? Well, you know, the, the mind-boggling stat, and you're exactly right, it is the, it's the tale of the season, is that we were number one in the league last year with plus 14. Yeah. And now we're dead, you know, before Monday night game, we're, we're 31st with a minus eight. I mean, how does that happen? Now, with all due respect, uh, you know, 11 of those fumbles are Matt Ryan. So mm-hmm. 
you know, I think in the long run that we're going to be better because I think he had a lot of fumbles that were just shaky, that were not, you know, not realizing when to fold them. Uh, JT has had two uh, really big fumbles this season, and he hadn't, you know, that hadn't been an issue in his career, so Mm -hmm. I think he can fix it, you know, but he's had two, uh, you know, two game killers really um, this year. And, of course, Ellinger had a tough one Sunday trying to get out of trouble. Uh, and, of course, Allen just destroyed um, – he destroyed Nelson on those two plays in the red zone. Uh, he lived up to his money, that's for sure. Right. And he knocked that out. And I think the key issue, you know, with both guys is I, – I, I don't think you can overdo it. I don't think it's going to be a problem with those two guys. I think it was a humongous problem with Ryan – and it's one of the reasons that he's not there. Um, but you've got to take care of the ball in the red zone. That's the one thing that you've got to know. You can't, you can't take sacks, This particularly with a young quarterback. You can't take sacks, but you definitely can't get it up when you're in field goal range. So I think that's critical. I think possibly I don't think we're playing with the confidence that we did a year ago. I, I think when you're playing a little bit uh, underconfident, uh, you know, you tend to do things that you don't do. You just you play out of sync. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing is you just keep emphasizing it. But, you know, it's essentially the same coaching staff that led the league in it. Right. And it is now at the bottom of the league. So it's hard to say that it has anything to do with design or, or approach. I, I just think that this season, you know, and I think Matt hit it right on the head. This is a plagued season, you know, and it, you know, one of the plagues I remember was locusts. So, there you go. You know, maybe maybe we can go out and find an exterminator. <laughs> Where's right Moses when you need the, him? See get what rid of the locusts. See see what how I took this, Matt. It wasn't about the the plagues from the Bible. It was you remember that Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns gets the All Star softball team, and now it's like the the fumbles are like Roger Clemens just clucking like a chicken. It's like how do you fix this? I it's just random. I don't know how this happened. Yeah. Well, like you said, Rick, it's the same. You know, for the most part, it's the same players, same coaching staff, yeah. and it's not like they're not prioritizing, you know, I, I call it PBS, perfect ball security. It's not like they don't harp on that throughout the course of a week, right. so it, it's definitely a plague there. All right, let's go to plague number two. Let's talk about short yardage. Jonathan Taylor stuffed on a third and three in the third quarter. The Colts had to settle for a field goal there, third and goal, I should say. At the three, then on a third and goal at the one, the Colts lined up in a shotgun, and Taylor again denied. Uh, the Colts op- also opted to to punt in their own territory up by six late in the game rather than go for it on a fourth and inches. Now, you kind of understand that given the, the situation of the game, but at least it's uh, you know a situation where Frank Reich in the past maybe dials that up and maybe has a little bit more confidence, Rick, in the short yardage game than maybe the, what the Colts have been displaying you know, yesterday and, and in the recent past this season. So how big of a plague has short yardage and the lack of consistency inside the running game been this season for the Colts, Rick? Yeah, it was a, it was a big problem yesterday, and I'm going to be critical of a couple things that I'm not normally critical of. Okay, first of all, I don't second-guess the tactic to punt it, okay? Right. I, you know, that that was a really, really short field. I mean, you, you just felt like and, – and plus – you know, we weren't really moving the ball running in, in those kind of situations. We weren't, you know, they'd get in that double sink and we'd run the ball and it was like running into the wall of China. I mean, it was just, we weren't making anything 
just straight ahead. We, you know, got good yardage on the edge, but that's a risk on inches. When you when you're on your own, what thirty five yard line or something like that, that's very difficult. So right. I don't second guess it. Plus, you you basically feel decent about your defense, even though they just gave up a drive. They did get a stop in a red zone. You know, they they had only given up one touchdown. Uh, you know, in two of the three last game or four, three of the four last games. And you ended up punting, and you ended up putting them inside what inside the ten or right at the ten for, for God's sake. So you you got to feel like that you can hold them in that situation. I will be critical of the two calls though, the two plays that you mentioned. I thought the the third and three, uh, and I'm not normally very critical about calls specifically because I think a lot of times when they work, they look like great calls, and when they don't, they're bad calls. But I don't like particularly with all the double sync they were playing a straight zone call on third and four on third and three i mean that's just that's just asking too much against that big five man front when you're not making a dent into it to run an inside zone play to think that you're going to make it i mean to me if it's third and three you know particularly with ellinger now and particularly the way we were moving it on the edge then you want to run a play that is off tackle to the outside. And normally what I like in that situation is some type of pass run option. And we have the quarterback now that can do it. You can run a bootleg with a flat and a crosser. You know, you can run even a predetermined run, you know, like the Bears do and like Tennessee did yesterday. I mean, you can do that stuff with him. But just to run an inside zone on third and four, to me, is against double sink is almost suicidal. I mean, we've if we've proven one thing, we can't run zone plays against double sink. I mean, we've proved it now for eight weeks, okay? And then number two, and you you heard me, I I bemoaned it right there live, so I'm not talk I'm not a Monday morning quarterback. Third and ones or third and one or less, I absolutely despise the gun. I I, I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. I've thought that way since I was a college coach a thousand years ago. The minute you step into the gun, what have you taken away? Number one, the, the threat of the sneak. And number two, the threat of the dive over for the first down, the Walter Payton. And you know doggone well, JT's good at it. So when you're third and one or less, and I th- it was really less than one, the minute you step into the shotgun, to me, you give the defense an advantage because now – they don't worry about that. They can shoot their backers and have time. And what they did was they shot that backer, and Nelson didn't scoop down, and that backer got through and hit us. Now, if you're if you're behind the center and running a sneak, he can't get there that quick. He cannot get there that quick. But by getting in the gun, I think that that was a I think that was a killer. And again, that was a critical settle for three uh, instead of seven. And so. I, I do think that, and I don't normally do this, I don't normally go there, but I think those were two bad operations on third down. So Frank Reich talked after the game about Sam Ellinger. They, they haven't really worked on quarterback sneaks with him uh, in practice. That's just not something that they had done. So he didn't feel comfortable in that third and one situation at the goal line of calling a quarterback sneak. The same goes for the fourth and one uh, down in their own territory that you were talking about, Rick where you just said, you know, that's not something we've worked on with Sam. That's not something we felt comfortable doing. I get it in both those instances. The shotgun thing, it, I, I understand the the overall point on that. 
But the numbers this year and, and just the, the eye test and the numbers show that the Colts are better running the ball out of the shotgun than they are from under center. Jonathan Taylor this year is averaging 4.8 yards per carry when he runs it out of the shotgun, 3.5 from under center. And the third and three that you were talking about, Rick, that was an under center run that got blown up where the Colts are in 13 personnel, three tight ends to the side and weren't able to get enough sustained push on that. So when you get into the gun, maybe you're hoping – that Washington, you know, they commit a linebacker to Sam on that play, thinking they might do a little read option thing there. Um, but, I, you know, there there is part of it, too, where you have to gain more yards when you're out of the shotgun uh, down at the goal line. But I didn't have as big of a problem with that. I just think the, the, the culmination of the execution errors for this team down in the red zone, it, it, the, the margin for error on this team has just been so low for everything that we've talked about with those fumbles back to the first plague and to then get down into the red area, get down to the low red area, and then not be able to execute on those plays, whether it's the quarterback sweep to Ellinger and then the pop pass that looked like it got in the end zone. I mean, I, I'm doing the stadium PA and I called a touchdown because the side judge called a touchdown on that play. And yeah, then, same. you know, gets, yeah, right. You know, gets overturned and it's, it, it's all just this culmination of you do so many good things before you get into the red area, before you get into these short yardage situations, but then a couple of those plays are just what what brings you back. And it it I think the solution I think there are solutions to kind of go go to what Rick was talking about before the break, where when you watch the tape, you see things that are encouraging. You see the explosive plays, you see some of the shotgun run concepts that the Colts are getting to and getting push and getting lanes for Jonathan Taylor that are encouraging JT against Washington, 10 carries for 53 yards out of the gun. But you just got to clean up those mistakes. And eight games into the season, the time is now to clean that up. You know, Ryan Kelly uh, said it after the game, this is kind of a, you know, swear word or get off the pot uh, situation. (laughs) Sit down in the pot or get off, right? exactly. And uh, that's where the Colts are right now. They will be past the halfway point. When yeah. the clock strikes zero in Foxborough on Sunday, they've got to get these things cleaned up, or you know the season's as the season has not slipped away yet. But again, at the halfway point of the season, this the time is now to clean these things up. Yeah, they're definitely at a fork in the road. I think it's safe to say that. All right, good stuff right there from Rick Venturi and JJ Stangovitz. JJ's in for Joe Wrights tonight. Joe is going to be back on the show with us next week. All right, coming up next, it's the Twitter mailbag. Get your questions in. Get them in using hashtag Colts Roundtable. And we'll take the best ones on the Colts coming up on the other side. You're listening to Colts Roundtable Live. We're back in just a moment here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. This is Roundtable Live, a full hour dedicated to Colts football. Here again is Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. We're back again on Colts Roundtable Live. Thanks for sticking with us here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The show tonight always brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. Tonight's show is also brought to you by EverStream. They're Indy's business-only fiber network, faster fiber, 
and better business. I'm Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi on the horn, J.J. Mailba- uh, JJ Stankovitz in studio on the mailbag in for Joe Wrights tonight. Joe's going to be back on the show with us next Monday. It's time now for the mailbag. Tweet in your questions tonight and every Monday night like you always do using hashtag Colts Roundtable. Haven't spent a ton of time on Sam Ellinger, so that's where Lance comes in. Uh, he's asking first, Rick, what was your assessment of Ellinger on Sunday? Is there hope in him that he can turn the season around? Yeah, I tell you what, I you know I, I really liked him at game time. Uh, I liked him even better after watching the tape, which you know that is saying something because you can run things back and get a better perspective. Um, it, it wasn't too big for him at all. He came out uh, poised is the best word uh, right from the beginning. Uh, he looked like he belonged. What I liked about him, he was never frenetic. You know, when you see a lot of rookies play, they play frenetic. They play out of control. You know, they kind of, you know, like a chicken with their head cut off. He was never that way. As a matter of fact, he looked exactly like he did in preseason games in the big time. I mean, which is a tremendous compliment. I I thought he was really sharp. Uh, He moved around inside the pocket, kind of Drew Brees-like but he was able to make things happen. He had even more yardage, if not for the uh, holding penalty penalties. You know, he did give us what we need. He gives us edge threats. He's going to make that running game better because of the zone reads and the RPOs. And I think what Frank's going to do is have him, I think a couple times there, he had the option of pulling that thing, and he probably should have, and he stayed with the run. But the thing that I was really most impressed with and I, I wasn't sure because we just didn't get enough look at it, even in all the practices that we watched, is he really threw it tight and he threw it accurate. I I was very impressed with that. That was my reservation going in is would he be able really to throw into NFL windows? Would he be able to throw it tight? Um, he's always thrown a pretty good deep ball. And, again, he hit Pierce on that one. I mean, I, I just thought that he threw it tight and accurate and you know we always know we've known the intangibles will be there but i was just so i was so pleased that he didn't you know he didn't look shook it wasn't too big for him again he showed all the athleticism that's going to make us better but i was i was really impressed with you know his ability to throw that thing compact tight and accurate uh, real real quick on this you know the the deep ball to alec pierce is getting a lot of attention it was a great throw Rick, to me, the most impressive throw Sam made, third and eight, but just under 10 minutes to go in the third quarter. He <clears throat> he drops back, and with a little bit of pressure in his face, he steps into a throw to Alec Pierce uh, going field to boundary, and he rips this throw. I mean, it is on a line. Alec makes a great catch, picks up the first down right at the marker. Um, that was an NFL throw right there because he threw it with the – the timing and the accuracy needed to complete it, but also with the arm strength needed to complete it. And to me, when you look at that throw, we heard a lot about how Sam worked on his arm strength this offseason and his accuracy with Tom House, the renowned quarterback guru. To me, it showed up on that play. And then he had the trust in Alec Pierce to be at his proper depth and have the proper timing on the route. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he just threw a seed out there. I mean, that – to me, you look at that throw that picked up a first down in a third and long situation where the Colts have struggled this year. I loved going back and watching that throw 
and you know really highlighting that as a all right you know Sam can play in this league it's not just a run around back, backyard playground thing yeah he can process he can be on time and he has the arm strength and accuracy to be a good NFL quarterback no doubt about yeah, it yeah and he's st- even the even the slant that he mm-hmm. threw to Pittman that Pittman got leveled on I mean he he threw that thing in that was an aspirin tablet no doubt all right we got time for one more kind of up against it time wise Rick let's go back to you uh, Bonnie is asking why could we not generate a pass rush on the last two drives of the game when the commander scored 10 points and essentially won the game yeah it was really disappointing actually because you knew they rail they basically started their two-minute drill with 11 minutes to go I mean, and, and basically by that, I mean, there was going to be no runs. I mean, they were going to throw the ball. They were going to drop back and heave it. I, I didn't think we had a very good plan, and I, and I think we fail at this a lot. I don't think we have good specific rush plans for quarterbacks. When you play, you know, when you play a guy like Heineke, I mean, Heineke came out of Old Dominion. You, you mentioned that his numbers, his stats – you know, not just the passing, but the running numbers that he had, including last year with the Redskins, I think he had over 300 yards rushing. I mean, to open up lanes like we did, to let him on the edge like we did, I think the biggest play of the game besides McLaren was the scramble outside on the last drive to get to the 50 and stop the clock. I thought that was the biggest play because it got him downhill in the offense, and I didn't think we did a good job. We stayed with a, th- a four-man rush the whole time. Uh, you know, I don't, th- I don't, I'm not sure that we ever brought five. We brought five a couple times in the game, and it was actually very effective. And when you get a guy like that, you want to bring five because you want to close every rush lane, and you want to create all one-on-ones uh, mm-hmm. with different people. And I didn't see it. I, I, I didn't see it. It was just a vanilla line up and try to get them. I mean, we rotate players. We have odd combinations in there at times. And then I, I, I think the thing that was most mystifying at the very end to me is all of a sudden uh, Ngakwe, who, you know, is a 10-sack-a-year ten guy, he's sitting on the bench watching it when he's winning the game, and Banigou's over there at right end, and, 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 and Ngakwe's not there. And to me, to me, that's just intolerable. I, I, I just we can't let that happen. Colts Roundtable live tonight, brought to you by Caesars Sportsbook, proud sports betting partner of the Indianapolis Colts. That's Rick Venturi, J.J. Stankovic in tonight. I'm Matt Taylor. This is Colts Roundtable Live. When we come back, we'll close out the show. We'll take a look at the AFC South through eight games and where the Colts stand there in a preview of Sunday's matchup in Foxborough with the Patriots. The Colts trying to get a win in New England for the first time since 2006. We'll close out the show when we come back on a Halloween night. You're listening to Colts Roundtable Live here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. For more Colts breakdown, here's Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. We're back for the final time. This is Colts Roundtable Live. Thanks for sticking around. It's presented by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. Also get your forecast first on CBS4 and get weather updates anytime with the CBS4 Indie app. You can customize it so you only get the alerts that you want. Search CBS4 Indie in the App Store or Google Play. So through 
eight games. The Colts currently in second place behind Tennessee, but the Titans won again yesterday. They won five games in a row. They're five and two. The Colts three, four, and one. Jags at two and six, and the Texans at one, five, and one. It's time now for the closing arguments from Rick and JJ. JJ, the floor is yours. Your final thoughts on Colts Commanders in Week Nine and Sam Ellinger getting his first road start against the Patriots. Well, there were a lot of things to like in this game against the Commanders, but ultimately it's going to come down to execution. Bill Belichick is going to make you be great situationally in the red zone on third down in short yarded situations like we've talked about. Colts have to clean that up because, I mean, this is going to be a challenge against a Patriots team that, again, is going to make you execute to the highest level. And I know Rick can speak on how Bill Belichick is going to do that. Yeah, that's exactly right, J.J. There's no doubt about it. I do think to start the week, though, we've got to know this is not your father's Patriot team. This is a mediocre 4-4 four and four team uh, that is 1-3 in, in Foxborough. Now, what you got to know is that Belichick now has obviously become the second, uh, you know, second leading, second winningest coach mm-hmm. in NFL history. So he's going to have his team ready. And the most important thing that you got to do here early in the week is figure out exactly what your deficiencies are. Because if you don't know what your deficiencies are, you'll know by the end of the first quarter next week. And he's going he's, he's gonna to scratch where it itches. I mean, he's going to be specifically game plan for you. So you, it's very important that you anticipate exactly what he's going to do, and it's going to be based on your assets and liabilities, and be ready for him and go in there and play. Yeah, they've won uh, three of their last four games. They've pulled even on the season four and four, second straight year the Colts and Patriots hook up, and first time since 2018 the Colts play in Foxborough. All right, that's all the time we've got tonight on a Halloween night. I want to thank everybody who joined the show with their questions and the comments. Also a big thanks to Coach Reich. Uh, back in segment number one for taking questions on the Commanders game and week nine and the rest of the season coming up. Rick Venturi and J.J. Stankovitz in for Joe Wrights tonight. Joe's back on the show coming up next Monday, and we've got you covered all week long, as we always do. Colts Daily Updates Tuesday through Thursday. The official podcast tomorrow, Inside Football with Rick Venturi, his blueprints to beat the Patriots. That drops on Wednesday. Check all of that out now, Colts.com, the Colts mobile app, and the Colts audio network, wherever you download your podcast. Coming up, we got basketball, Pacer basketball, the blue and gold take on the Brooklyn Nets tonight on the road. And we'll talk to you next week at 6 o'clock for another installment of Colts Roundtable Live. Until then, thanks for listening, everybody. You're on the home of the Colts, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Good night. Good night.